At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Do you want to save money at the grocery store? Eat more organic, whole foods? Cultivate food security and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Master Gardener, Missy Gable, to talk about her experience with understanding climate zones. Missy serves as a director for the UC California Master Gardener Program and co-director for the UC Master Food Preserver Program, both statewide programs under University of California's Division of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Missy earned her BS in Biological Sciences and MS in Horticulture and Agronomy from UC Davis. She enjoys sharing her passion for home horticulture, sustainable landscaping, and home food preservation with the 6,500-plus UC Master Gardener and Food Preserver volunteers and program staff across California. She loves the direct impacts both programs make in local communities, including teaching about growing and preserving food, reducing food and water waste, improving pollinator habitats, beautifying landscapes, and so much more. Welcome to the show today, Missy. Thank you so much, Greg. I'm glad to be here today. Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Goodness. Well, I certainly had a fun time getting to where I am today. You had mentioned I, I 
went to UC Davis. I'm an alumni of Davis, both for my undergraduate and my graduate degree. Yay. Um, yep. I, uh, I started out at Davis thinking that I was going to go into medicine and uh, realized just before graduating that I am not a fan of sick people. Uh, rather, <laughs> I would much prefer right. time in the garden. Mm -hmm. um, I It kind of was an epiphany. I'd, I'd rather travel the nation looking at botanical gardens and arboreta than uh, head to medical school. So I quickly changed my tune. I uh, got my, yeah, I'm, I feel fortunate. I uh, got my master's in environmental horticulture and um, really got hooked in with horticulture and the agricultural community in the state of California mm -hmm. um, and developed my skills in horticulture and, and leadership also in, uh, later also in leadership and uh, was really fortunate to uh, land a position working with who I think are the most phenomenal gardeners in our state, the UC Master Gardener Volunteers. Nice. So for those listeners that don't know what the Master Gardening Program is, can you tell us that? Because it's an incredible program. It is an incredible program, and I would love to tell you about us. Uh, so we are a statewide program, as you mentioned, under the auspices of the UC Division of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Mm -hmm. And our statewide program, what we do, uh, people who are interested in gardening, they may not have any background in gardening whatsoever, but they have an interest. They come to us, the University of California, and they get trained uh, to be a UC Master Gardener, it's a really intensive training, most of the time 50 to 60 hours in classroom. After uh, a volunteer has gone through their training period, uh, they do take an exam to become certified so that we know that they are well aware of all of the great um, resources that the university has and other accredited institutions to help us all be successful gardeners. And uh, then those volunteers, once they're certified, uh, they give back to the program. They give back volunteer time nice. uh, and they go out into the community and they give people research-based information on how to be better gardeners and uh, what's great about that is that we are providing a service that's typically free mm -hmm. or at a very reduced cost and we are making people more successful mm -hmm. and more sustainable mm -hmm. in their home landscapes and uh, and they're also getting the best of the best information research-based right. information um, is is what we all really need to fall back on yeah. uh, so that we can be informed and be just very smart about the decisions we're making in our landscapes. Perfect. Now, this isn't just a California thing, is it? No, it's not. It's a national program. Uh -huh. It is offered through land-grant uh, institutions, so there are land-grant institutions all over the nation, and uh, the Master Gardener program is usually facilitated through Cooperative Extension. Mm -hmm. um, so here in California, the parent of Cooperative Extension is the Division of Ag and Natural Resources at the University of California, and then we have Cooperative Extension offices in um, all the counties the county. in the state of California. Oh, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I would suspect, you probably know better than I do, but I would suspect that every county in the United States has their own extension office, right? You know, unfortunately, that's not the case. Ah. Um, uh, there, uh, There's a, you know, one 
state over on the East Coast that um, did cut all of their funding to their extension programming. Oh, wow. So they, they don't offer that. So it, it mm -hmm. is not uh, nationwide, but it is close to nationwide. Close to nationwide, yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yes. I know we have it here in the state of Arizona. So. Yes, you do. You, yep. you guys have a very strong program oh, in the state yes, of Arizona. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> so and in your bio, there was one other thing that I'm really curious about that I've never heard of, and I've got to know about it, and this is the UC Master Food Preserver Program. I want to take that. We don't have that here in Arizona. I want to take it. I, you know what? The UC Master Food Preserver Program is a really exciting program. It has been around for about the same amount of time as the Master Gardener Program, mm -hmm. so since the early 80s in California, uh, but it only recently became a statewide program underneath the Division of Ag and Natural Resources. And uh, so we're putting a lot of energy into the Master Food Preserver Program right now. Mm -hmm. uh, it is not as widely available in California as the Master Gardener Program. In the Master Gardener Program, we have 51 programs and the Master wow. Food Preserver Program has 13 mm -hmm. right now. And so we're continuing to build up that momentum. But the food preservers, it's essentially the same thing. They're coming to the university and getting trained by university experts on food safety, on food handling, mm -hmm. uh, and the safe methods for home food preservation. So those would include wow. drying uh -huh. or dehydrating your foods, mm -hmm. pickling, water bath canning, pressure canning, and freezing. Nice. So is this yeah. something if uh, we wanted to start here in Arizona, we could? there would be some uh, content for us? If you wanted to start in Arizona, you just get someone to contact me. We would send over our content and uh, uh -huh. and show you what we're doing. Uh, the University of Washington, also, or, I'm sorry, Washington State also has a very robust program. Uh -huh. Colorado has a program. So it is speckled throughout oh, the nation. Nice. Yeah, just slightly uh, less widespread than the Master yeah. Gardener program at this time. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for that. But today we're going to be talking about understanding climate zones. So we have our USDA hardiness zones. Yes. Right. What are those? That's a great question. So uh, the USDA plant hardiness map actually divides the US into um, 11 zones. And mm -hmm. those zones are based on, gosh, I believe it's the 30 year average for high and low temperature. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, and so so the, the USDA hardiness zone is a, it's a great resource. It is used nationally. So on many plant labels, what you're going to see is mm. a USDA hardiness zone. Yep. Um, also, if you're purchasing seeds online, uh, you're going to want to pay attention to which climate zone map um, uh, you're you're reading about, whether the organization that you're purchasing from online is listing um, the USDA hardiness zone, right. or uh, in the West Coast here, we have the sunset zone map. Um, mm. so, so we have two different zone maps, and it certainly can be confusing if you live in a Western state um, as to which one you're looking at when you're purchasing plants. And it's, it's pretty critical that gardeners and farmers are aware of what zone map they're looking at when they're making uh, plant decisions. Right. So what's the difference between them? Sure. So um, as I had mentioned, the USDA hardiness uh, map is based on an average high and low temperature over, I believe it's a 30-year period. Mm -hmm. 
And then the sunset zone map is it's actually much more specific uh, and it takes into account um, other factors that influence whether or not a plant can grow in your area. So in addition to temperature, just like USDA, it, it does take into account temperature. It also takes into account rainfall patterns, such as uh. how much rainfall and when that rainfall comes, uh, the length of the growing season and uh, even humidity. So it, it really dives into uh, much more specificity as you're looking at the different areas, uh, it has 24 zones in the sunset zone map. So that so it sounds to me like then the sunset map is a little bit more detailed. Does I get that right? It is more detailed. Yes, it is. Uh, so my preference is always to look at the sunset zone map uh -huh. uh, because it just drills down uh, into more specifics about your area. Cool. Yeah. And you, you kind of touched on this. So are these climate zones synonymous with weather? It's a great question. Uh, and and this, is, this can be confusing to a lot of people. Yeah. Weather is, um, is actually measured over a short period of time. So, so weather mm. happens daily or even in an afternoon, whereas climate uh, happens over a longer period of time. Oh, so we might have, yeah, we might have a rainy day in the spring, but mm -hmm. generally our spring climate could actually be dry. So it, again, it's a measure of time. Weather is that um, specific uh, atmospheric conditions over a short period of time. And uh, climate is that longer period of time, either over a season or maybe annual climate. Uh -huh. um, you can look at that uh, over, at, as I mentioned, a, a longer yeah. period of time. Yeah, you know, one of the reasons, so we're, we're at about, episode 120 with the urban farm podcast which i'm really excited about and one of the reasons i do this is to learn new stuff you know i've been studying Absolutely. this stuff for over 40 years and and it still is so fun for me when i learn that there's a difference between climate and weather i just never knew that you know, I think gardeners in general are consummate learners. Gardeners uh -huh. love getting new information. We love trying new things. Uh, and so I share that enthusiasm with you. Yeah. Yeah. So what factors create climate zones and consequently the biomes that they represent? So you're going to have to, uh, let's talk about biomes first. Let's sure. pull that apart. What is, what is a biome? Okay, so what is a biome? A biome is um, a climate type uh -huh. and the animals and plants, the flora and fauna that live within that climate type. Great, so we're in the Sonoran Desert, so that's a biome. Absolutely, Perfect. yes. Okay, and so these factors that create these climate zones, um, what are they? Well, factors that create climate zones, like we had mentioned with the sunset zones, uh -huh. uh, the, the factors that go into determining where sunset zones are delineated within a state, uh, it's, it's temperature, it's uh, the amount of rain, uh, how much you get mm -hmm. and when you get it, uh, in, uh, yeah, humidity, length of the growing season, all of those are factors that play into what climate zone um, a person is in or an area of the country or mm -hmm. even an entire continent can be part of a climate zone. Right. And then the animals and the plants that have adapted to live within those climatic conditions. Got it. So and that's how the biomes plug into all of this. Yes, that's yeah. correct. Perfect. Um, and there's a, there's a term. So I, I study permaculture. You're familiar with permaculture? 
Yes, I am. Yeah, I like to call permaculture the art and science of working with nature. How do we plug in and work in with the flow of nature? And there's, I like that. Thank you. And that, that, there's something that we talk a lot about in permaculture. They're called microclimates. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are microclimates and why are they important? Microclimates are so important for gardeners. So in general, we have a climate that we live in, but there can be small areas within our climate, uh, mm-hmm. like little pockets, little areas uh, that have a different type of climate. We call that a microclimate. And a microclimate can develop for a number of different reasons. Um, on a large scale, perhaps uh, there's a microclimate that is at the base of a valley surrounded mm. by a big mountain range. Mm-hmm. And in that microclimate, it's it's probably going to be colder in that valley than it is elsewhere because we know heat rises. Right. Uh, so it's going to be cooler in that area, and that may influence uh, the types of vegetation that can survive in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about myself, I live in an urban area, right. and I have microclimates just in my own backyard, uh, right up next to my stucco home, um, especially on the south side of my home. It Mm -hmm. absorbs a tremendous amount of heat. It's really um, a a heat island and Mm -hmm. I can Mm -hmm. grow much more successfully uh, some of my tender plants against that concrete area. All right. Um, Yeah. So wintertime. Exactly. Yes. Other things that affect microclimates are bodies of water. Mm. Oh, Um, yeah. Yep. So we think about uh, California. There are areas uh, along the coast, right along the coast, probably has a little bit different microclimate than just slightly inland because you're going to have salt splash and you're going to have Mm. um, more water in the air. Uh, So you can think about microclimates, like I had mentioned, just in your own backyard, in uh, your community, um, and uh, maybe just in general in in your city. Are there areas in your city that um, have slightly different climates? Uh, than than the larger overall climate. Yeah. I have a a west-facing wall Mm -hmm. here at the urban farm. It's a really warm microclimate. And, uh, you know, I I grow things differently there than I do in the front yard, which is an east-facing and gets afternoon sun. So that's kind of how I utilize it. Absolutely. Great way to utilize your microclimate. Yeah. So why is knowing your climate zone so important when you're selecting plants and you know, seeds and the like. (laughs) You know, when we don't know our climate zone, Mm -hmm. or perhaps when we want to ignore our climate zone, I call that zone denial. (laughs) Um, Oh, that's good. We have a tendency to go out and purchase plants and subsequently put them in our uh, landscapes Mm -hmm. um, that that really are going to have a hard time surviving and thriving. And so what happens Mm. is that a gardener uh, puts a lot more resources into those plants than they otherwise would in an attempt, maybe they're fertilizing them extra or they are just mulching them more, they're watering Mm -hmm. them more, they're just kind of tending to them and trying to get them going. And sometimes those plants can survive and and sometimes uh, they don't make it. And so now you've you've just invested a lot of resources into a plant that ultimately has not been successful for you. So knowing your climate can help you save time, save money, water, mm-hmm. and, and other important resources. Yeah. I call those the advanced plants. Yeah, the advanced plants. That's yeah. a good way to look at it. Yeah, I, I, 
I have to admit, I have been um, at the mercy of zone denial many times in my life, <laughs> yep. and uh, I'm sure I will be at the mercy of it many more times. Yeah. Uh, and it's very frustrating. I've, you know, invested in a plant that I've always wanted to try, and mm-hmm. yeah, have it. You know, it's not made it, and then all right. of a sudden, your twenty dollars is in the compost pile, and all that time yeah. you took, and uh, the water that you put on that planet, it can be pretty frustrating for a gardener. So. To help people to be sustainable and happy gardeners, Uh uh, we definitely want to educate folks on uh, what climate zone that they're in. Yeah. I I tell people that growing food is one great big grand experiment. So I (laughs) I, I actually encourage people into zone denial um, if if they want to, you know, try something, you know. And the other you thing, know, yeah, ahead. growing food, I think growing food can, uh, for me, sometimes fall into a little bit of a different category. I definitely with ornamentals, I found myself being uh, particularly upset when, uh, you know, I, I try something more tender than I really should try mm-hmm. and uh, am not successful. Uh, whereas my food plants, I tend to, in all honesty, pamper them a little bit more than the uh-huh. rest of my landscape. Of and do. so I would agree with you that that maybe um, when you're producing food, that's really the time where you can experiment and try some different things. Yeah. And I, I'm a I'm a big encourager of, of figuring, you know, figuring out what can grow in your space because we for everybody's yard has different microclimates. So if you right. go explore a plant and actually I should just ask you this next question here. Uh, is it ever possible to be successful with plants that are not assigned to your climate zone? It really is. And you were just about to touch on it there. <laughs> microclimates. Yeah. Uh, you could have a special little area in your landscape that has its own microclimate that will let you be successful with a plant that maybe is more tender um, than is recommended for your climate zone. Yeah. What have you play, played with successfully and maybe not so successfully in that arena? Oh, well, I um, so I have lived in the Sacramento area for quite some time now. Mm -hmm. um, And there's actually a really big difference between the city of Davis and the city of Sacramento. Uh, We have different types of water. And uh, there's just a little slightly different climate, slightly different microclimates in each area. Mm -hmm. And so when I was living in Davis, I tried, uh, goodness, I guess my best example is um, a really tender abutilon, flowering maple. In some areas, abutilon are they're, they're fuss-free plants. They're really easy to take care of. Uh-huh. Um, they can survive and thrive on low water. Uh, but it just so happened that um, the cultivar that I had chosen was particularly tender and uh, just was unhappy in Davis. Mm. It did not like the water. It did not like the sun. It was just too hot. And that poor little plant, as much as I tended to it and loved it and cared for it, it did not make just it. did not want to do it. Yeah. It did not. It did not. But, um, you know, I've also tried things that I've been really successful with. I've I've really gotten into some of the unique types of citrus that you can find now. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, there's some great stuff out there. Um, Australian finger limes are one of my new favorites. Oh, yeah. Oh, if you've never tried them, they are spectacular. I haven't. What are they? Uh, oh, my goodness. Well, first of all... Uh, definitely do a little Google search uh, because it does not look like a traditional lime. The fruit is, um, well, it looks like a finger. It's a a kind of a long, skinny piece of fruit. Mm -hmm. And you you slice it uh, lengthwise in half and open it up. And it's full of these little 
pearls of lime goodness. And oh. uh, you kind of scoop them out with, um, I like to, you know, I just scoop them out with my uh, a spoon. And then they're great on grilled chicken, grilled fish. I put them in my salads. They are just these fabulous oh. little flavor bursts that kind of pop in your mouth. Very exciting. I was going to say, I'm getting away from myself. I, I've been successful with um, some of these interesting, different uh, mm -hmm. citrus by paying attention to the microclimate um, in my uh, backyard now. And yeah. so I've got my citrus up against um, a, a stucco wall. It's the wall of my home. Mm -hmm. um, and they get some more radiant heat in the wintertime. And, uh, and that has really helped uh, all of my citrus to keep going. I did yeah. try at one point for aesthetic reasons. I moved a couple of prized, fabulous citrus plants. Um, they were in large containers and I moved them out into another part of the landscape for mm. aesthetic reasons. And uh, they quickly told me that they were not, yeah, happy, not happy with there. the change. Yeah. Nope, not happy. So um, I have learned to pay attention to my microclimate and mm -hmm. uh, be more successful by, by knowing my plants needs and, and what I can provide for them in my landscape. And, well, and sometimes you have to experiment with this, right? Absolutely. Yeah. My goodness. Yes. There's a lot of experimentation that happens with gardening. Yeah. So all of you listeners out there, this is your permission. <laughs> you grant them permission too, Missy. I do. I grant people permission to have fun and experiment. experiment. That's part of what gardening is about. Absolutely. Because that's how we find out what really, really can grow in our space. Mm-hmm. Yep. Use the climate zones. Use your sunset zone if you're in the West Coast mm -hmm. as a, a guide uh, and then get out there and get your hands in the soil and, and figure out what you can accomplish. Nice. So I'm going to shift on you a little bit and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. A time I failed in my garden. Yeah. Uh, this is, is it's part success and part failure. Uh, but Perfect. a time I failed was... Um, you know, it was one of the first times that I <laughs> I had money to buy something out of a seed catalog. Oh. So I was out of graduate school and it uh -huh. started working. And for the first time, I was not scrounging for free seeds for my friends. I, I decided I'm going to get a seed catalog and I'm going to order something. And I went nuts. Um, <laughs> of course we did. And I, of course. Of course I did. And a, a prime example of that, I, I planted eight different varieties of zucchini. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Really smart. And I knew better. I knew better. Mm -hmm. But uh, for some reason, I was just compelled to do this. And I did realize, you know, as much as I've always given people advice, only plant and grow what you and your family will eat. I had uh -huh. not listened to my own advice. <laughs> um, and I figured, well, goodness, I can handle eight varieties of zucchini. It turns out there is in fact a limit to how much zucchini you can eat in one season uh -huh. and the different ways that you can preserve it. Uh -huh. uh, I found that limit for myself. <laughs> and um, and it really what I learned from that, I, I do call it one of my failures because I had not really considered the impact of my what I was doing. You know, I, I overplanted and uh, I had a really... I had a fun time looking at the different varieties of zucchini, but was it really worth it to mm. um, put all of that water and all of those resources into my garden, produce all of that zucchini, and then uh -huh. ultimately I was begging people to take it off my no. hands. And I was, so I, I was going to ask you that. I was going to I was yeah. going to say, were the neighbors hiding when you came knocking? 
they start to see you coming yeah. after a while yeah. and uh, they, they did start to see me coming. And so I really learned that in that case, it was a failure and I need to be smart about my resources. I mm-hmm. need to be smart about, um, I shouldn't say my resources, my garden resources, yeah. garden space, the sunlight that I have, the amount of water that I want to put on my plants. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be a more sustainable gardener. In that case, it was a failure because I wasn't looking at the heralds of, um, being a sustainable gardener and uh, I was ignoring them so that I could have fun and look at different zucchini varieties. Well, that's how we learn, right? (laughs) Right. So looking back at that, what would you do differently if you wanted to see all eight varieties? Uh, Pick one or two for each season and or each year and and grow them out and and enjoy them you know enjoy that one or two different types of varieties each year Mm -hmm. and just try them (laughs) one after another after another and enjoy it that way. I really think I could have gotten more pleasure out of those uh, plants and the produce that they gave me uh, if I had done it that way. After a while, it was just zucchini. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what do you consider your biggest success? You know, my biggest success in my garden – I would say I I just experienced this one recently. Um, I have been uh, producing my own fruits and vegetables for a long time. I have a great time doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this year was really special uh, because I have three thornless blackberries in the backyard. And my husband and I have uh, very much enjoyed the fruit. uh, But my two-year-old daughter this year really (laughs) got the hang of it. And so I would say my biggest success in the landscape was... Um, watching her enthusiasm every night, going out, checking the plant, eating the berries. I will say now she asks uh, almost nightly <laughs> if she can go outside and get some blackberries, oh, which, of course, we don't beautiful. have right now. Right. Uh, it's, it's, yep, the season is done for us. Yep. Uh, so that was... That was a sad loss for her, but it really was a success for me to see her get excited oh about gosh, it yes. and want to go outside and check her vines yeah yeah beautiful we recently uh interviewed a young lady named ping from the american horticulture society on um, getting kids to garden and that you know it's what i've found over and over and over again is that if we can get them growing it they'll eat it no matter what it is I agree with that. Now, that did not work for me this year with tomatoes, but I'm going to keep trying. (laughs) (laughs) Try it again. It'll work. I will. I will. I'm going to keep trying. Yep. I'm going to go for a pink tomato next year. I think that is maybe going to do it. Yep. So I'm going to actually ask you this question again in a little bit different way. And that's what do you consider your biggest success in the Master Gardener program? Because I, I believe that the Master Gardening program is one of the most incredible gardening uh, gateway entry places for people. And I w- I'd, I'd like to know the answer to that question. I'm going to put you on I the spot here. I would love to answer that for you. Uh-huh. You know, I would say my biggest success um, with the Master Gardener program, uh, you know, we have a really talented community of practice. So at the statewide office, we've got a woman who excels in marketing. We've got a training coordinator. At the local level, the county offices, we have um, just stellar coordinators who are educators. They they love working with the volunteers. And then I can't say enough about the volunteers that we have. 
And really, I'd say my biggest success is uh, it's been working the last couple of years to increase the awareness specifically of the UC Master Gardener program uh, within the state of California. Mm -hmm. This is a phenomenal resource that people can tap into. It's a way that they can save water in their landscape. It's a way they can get information to be um, more successful when they're outside gardening, which is, it's huge, right? The more they're outside gardening, the healthier they are, the better they're going to feel. So really to me, my biggest success is when when someone asks me what I do and their eyes light up when I say UC Master Gardener Program Mm -hmm. and there's that recognition. So so, yeah, my biggest success is really just getting the word out about the program because we have, like you said, it's it's the best resource out there, and uh, it's such a pleasure to work with the volunteers who are out giving research-based information. All I want is for people to know about them and know uh, where to find them. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. So you're in California, and right now California has a significant drought going on. How has that impacted uh, your gardening and the program that you're, you know, that you're teaching in the state? Sure. Uh, Well, in terms of my personal gardening, uh, the drought has really, um, it it made me give even more consideration than normal um, to what I was putting in my landscape, any changes Mm -hmm. I was making to my landscape. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I have not made any changes to my ornamental plants recently because, you know, ornamental plants have an establishment phase where they require more water than they will later on. Uh, So I I have not changed anything about the ornamentals in my landscape. And when it came to my home garden, uh, I spent a lot more time than I, um, I I always spend time giving consideration to what I want to grow. I spent even more time this year and gave more consideration to the amount of time I had and, and what I could grow the biggest bang for my buck. So in one square foot, um, you know, what's the plant I want to put in that space and water that's going to give me the most produce that I can get. Mm -hmm. So I, I really, um, I focused a lot more on what we were going to use. I have a young family. So I went with cherry tomatoes this year instead of any beef steaks. And, um, you know, I, I changed up the type of eggplant that I was growing to reduce waste and maximize the usefulness of the product for, Uh, the water and the time that I was going to spend growing it. Right. Beautiful. And in the program itself? The program itself, my goodness, we've been doing a lot of education about the drought. Uh, It's scary here, I have to be honest. Mm -hmm. You know, people uh, want desperately to be responsive. And so what we've seen, a lot of people just went out and they turned off the irrigation to their lawn completely. And well, so... Okay, you've turned off the irrigation to your lawn. You know, if if we ever come out of this drought, lawns can be reestablished or you can put in something different. Um, What what is harder to reestablish is the trees Trees. that are oftentimes planted in the lawn. Mm -hmm. So, you know, folks are are not remembering, you know, when we turn off uh, our lawn irrigation, those trees planted in the lawn have adapted to this kind of shallow frequent uh, type of irrigation that they get from 
the lawn sprinklers and suddenly they're not getting that anymore and they're really suffering and so we're seeing a lot of decline in the trees and and if the drought isn't taking them this lack of water that they're receiving um, they're becoming more susceptible to pests and diseases and because of the drought and uh, so that's uh, we've really been working on focusing our educational messages and how people can be responsive right away in your landscape, but how yeah. they can be responsive in a, a really smart way so that um, they're they're taking care and prioritizing the plants that, that are really going to be hard to reestablish someday. Yeah. Well, yeah. Th- thank you for sharing that, because here we're in Arizona. We don't have a drought, although we should probably be under drought conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're not there, uh, and it, just in you sharing that had me start to rethink uh, how and what I'm going to plant this fall. Uh, sure, yeah. So, so thank you for that. Yay! Well, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. So, what drives you? What drives me? I, you know, I touched on it when I touched about the successes. What success with the Master Gardener program is, has been really meaningful to me. Uh, what drives me in my work with the Master Gardener program mm-hmm. is that I really, you know, everyone says they want to make a difference, and uh, and everyone has the capacity to make a difference. Uh-huh. I really feel fortunate that, um, you know, with over 6,000 volunteers in the state making over 1 million face-to-face contacts every year, we have a real opportunity to make a difference with the Master Gardener program, um, a difference uh, in California. And uh, so what drives me is... You know, I just I'm very grateful to be working with volunteers who are on the ground and so passionate about communicating with people. And uh, and what drives me is making sure that we are reaching a really diverse audience in the state of California. You know, people who live in apartment buildings in the middle of San Francisco they need our information too. Yeah. They're doing, they're probably gardening with something on their back patio. Uh, it's pretty likely. And so we really can touch so many different people and affect uh, so much. You know, we can affect natural resources, the mm-hmm. amount of water that they're using. Oh, yeah. uh, but gardening also for me is, um, you know, it's therapeutic. You've probably <laughs> heard the term therapeutic horticulture. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. So just getting people outside getting them to appreciate the natural environment. That's really what drives me. And I, I am so grateful and blessed that um, I can do that through the UC Master Gardener program and the amazing volunteers. Wow. How incredible is that? Good for you. Thank you. So I am all about education. And I have to know, is there one book that has been influential for you in this process in your life? You know, there's so many books that are influential <laughs> to me. My goodness. Um, uh, I've, yeah, I, it's going to be hard to pick one, mm-hmm. uh, but if I had to pick one, it's actually not a gardening book. Uh-huh. It's a it's a book on, well, getting to know yourself and um, actually leadership. It's called Now Discover Your Strengths by Marcus Buckingham, mm. and um, yeah, it 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 was a really profound book for me because I. I read it. It's, you know, kind of like Myers-Briggs. I'm sure you've taken that. Oh, yes. Multiple times. Yeah. So now Discover Your Strengths helps you identify your top five strengths. Um, The book, it's not about strengths versus weaknesses. Mm -hmm. It's just what your top five strengths are. And um, my top strength happens to be something called Maximizer. And if you read the book, you can learn all about what a Maximizer is. But what has been impactful to me from this book is how 
myself as a maximizer, how that trickles into um, my daily work, mm -hmm. my family life, how it trickles into how I am as a gardener, I, why I picked eight varieties of zucchini. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's have been very influential to me uh, to really help me see how I just tend to operate and then also reflect back but kind of before I react to something reflect on how I could act differently um, outside of my norm uh, uh, that maybe would make me um, more successful um, I, I just pulled it up on Amazon it's called now discover your strengths it's by Donald Clifton and Sally Woodbridge uh, and this book looks familiar I may have this on my bookshelf actually Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I don't know if you want to do this on the record, but um, my <laughs> copy is by Marcus Buckingham and Donald Clifton. <laughs> oh, interesting. I know. Oh. So we've got two different authors here. I'm not oh. sure what's going on. Inter well, Donald Clifton is, is the same in both cases. Yep. Yeah, so, all right, well, there you go. Maybe it's an updated <laughs> version or something. Perfect. Perfect. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Oh, one final piece of advice. You know, your listeners are gardeners. Mm -hmm. um, they're urban farmers. They're Maybe they're people who are interested in getting out there and trying to garden, too. Um, my one piece of advice, you know, looking at the world today, I, I'm definitely a half-glass-full type of person. Mm -hmm. um, but I can't ignore the fact that um, so few of our youth are connected to agriculture mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I can say that my grandfather uh, was a farmer in um, – in the central United States and, and he had a big impact on me, but who's going to have that impact on my daughter and who's going to yeah. have that impact on the kids in my neighborhood. And uh, so my one piece of advice would be to share your passion yeah. and to share your successes and your failures and um, not be afraid to really talk about it and, and show it off to the people around you because you never know when you're going to make an impact on someone who maybe otherwise would not be exposed to gardening. As shocking yeah. as that sounds, there are people who don't become exposed to gardening and we need to be an inspiration to others just by showing them how happy it makes us or, yeah. or what we were able to accomplish or what we learned from what we didn't accomplish. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Missy. It's been a treat getting to chat with you. Well, it's really my pleasure. I'm grateful yeah. for the time with you. And I do hope anyone who's listening, if, if they're interested in the Master Gardener program uh, and you're not in the state of California, go ahead and do a Google search mm -hmm. uh, for yeah. Master Gardener and your state. Your state. And uh, I hope you will be successful with that endeavor. And if you are a listener in the state of California, please come find us. Uh, you can visit our website mm -hmm. at mg.uc. A-N-R dot E-D-U. Perfect. Perfect. And I have to tell you, when I read your bio earlier, uh, before we started, it was like, oh, wow. I get, a, I get a master gardener on the program. I think you are our first master gardener. Oh, I hope you have many more. Oh, yes. I, I really hope you do. And from different states, you know, it'd yeah. be, it's so what's exciting about the program is how unique it is based yeah. on, um, you know, what the communities and the clients are needing. And yeah. so in California, certainly we talk a lot about the drought. I'd be really jazzed to hear what someone in Arizona, what a master right. gardener in Arizona is yeah. talking to their public about. Well, I'm going to throw it out here. All you master gardeners out there, <laughs> if you would like to be on the show podcast at urbanfarm.org and we'd love to chat with you.
Excellent. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food. And I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, Head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.